Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noel Cordo. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everything Life Coaching. This is Noelle flying not quite solo today. I have with me one of our very special coaches, um, a colleague, someone who is an instructor and a thought leader within our community and a friend, Pam Cobarubias. How are you? I am well and so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. And the first thing that I want to do is let our listeners know who you are in the world. So can you orient us? Who are you? What do you do as a coach? Give us the juicy tidbits. <laughs> yes, I am Pamco Arrubias. I am a, I'm a life and business coach. I'm an EFT practitioner, so also known as tapping. I'm a recovering procrastinator, and I'm also a podcaster. Yay. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, the podcast is called Cafe Con Pam, and it's been around since 2016. I interview Latinas and people of the global majority who break barriers, change lives, and make the world a better place. And it's been super fun. I started sharing because I wanted to hear people, people's stories of people that looked and sounded like me. And I've been doing it since. And I, I realized that other people wanted to hear the story. So I haven't stopped. Thank you for putting that work out into the world. Um, I imagine that your listeners find great comfort, affinity, and, and possibly even you know friendship from afar. Um, through having that resource. So that's awesome. Along those lines, you are also the leader of our BIPOC affinity group, which was the first affinity group that we launched at Lumia. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it means for coaches to have that space within Lumia and how you personally approach the topic of community for BIPOC practitioners? Yeah, I think it all started from a conversation. And now I host this by myself, but we started with our friend Cherise, who's also a great coach. And when her and I began this group, we wanted to provide a space that we needed when we first started coaching. Mm -hmm. And it's a place of conversation. It's a place of really getting into the things that and topics that we may be thinking about, but we don't know where else to talk about them, like charging, like visibility, like just general conversation. The, the, the topic this year is money because one thing that we noticed as we were hosting these groups is that people really, all the conversations were always revolving around how much do we charge? How do we feel about asking for money? What happens when people say, I don't want to pay you, especially because bodies of color are, from a historical standpoint, they're seen as underpaid. And so it's also acknowledging the fact that we carry a lot of historical trauma that we have to overcome so that our businesses flourish. So this is a place where we, we have these fun conversations. Yeah. And I love that you 
oriented um, from the perspective of providing the things that you wish you had as a coach. Um, what what has your own journey been like, and what were the things that you needed when you first started? Well, I didn't see myself represented. I think my whole life has revolved around models, and I'm the oldest of my family, and so I, I've always have I've always had to be the model. It's I'm always the example because I'm the oldest of my siblings, and so for me, I would always search for, okay, who's going to be my model because I can't carry the torch by myself. And so I needed to see myself represented when I started coaching. I didn't see people that were bilingual or that were speaking Spanglish or that had a story like mine. I have this really strange upbringing because I'm a flipped immigrant. I was born in the U.S., grew up in Mexico City, so I know the intricacies of identity and migration. And so all of that I didn't see represented. And I mean, on one end, I realized that that was my story to tell. And then on the other end, I wanted to see like a little, a little paved, a little path paved a little bit. (laughs) And then I could take the rest. So it was, it was a lot about modeling and representation, I think for me. Yeah. As, as time has marched on, do you think that that you're starting to see that path paved in terms of representation? Yeah, 100%. In in all of the things that I do, in the podcasting, for example, when I started, I was one of like four or five. When I started coaching, I didn't know any other Latina coaches. I, I probably won. And wow. so, yeah. So now I see a lot more. I mean, with the BIPOC group that we that we host with Lumia, there's a lot more people that show up and we are able to have conversations and that just breaks a lot of barriers that, I mean, frankly, a lot of times we self-impose them because there's no one else to talk to. So just having someone to talk to, it just makes such a difference. Yeah. When I was listening to you, um, one of the, the things that came up for me is I'm so glad you're saying these things out loud. And mm-hmm. I'm also reminded of a tidbit that she shared with me a couple of weeks ago about being quiet. Yes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your relationship with your voice and how you've gotten so brave and um, polished and so beautifully um, loud. Thank you. I'm working on it still. So I call that calladita culture. And in Spanish is calladita means quiet. And there's a saying that I grew up hearing and a lot of Latina women grew up hearing. And I think it translates into different cultures in different ways because I've talked to people from other cultures and they're like, oh, I heard that in my own kind of like way. So calladita is something that I grew up hearing that translates roughly into you look prettier when you're quiet. And oftentimes Latina women are raised in this way because of so many things, machismo being one of them. And I grew up this way with a very Catholic grandmother that would tell me you just have to be quite submissive and say yes. And then that was when I was in Mexico. Then when I came to the U.S., 
I became an immigrant. And so immigrants here, especially brown people like me, are seen as the working force. And the working force is quite submissive and follows rules. And so deep down, I realized that I'm a rebel at heart. And so I would always be questioning, why do I have to be quiet? And why can't I say what I think? And so I embarked into this journey of exploring my voice and something happened when I was in my 20s that I I was like, I need to share my story. And I started, started with the podcast, really. But I kind of like hid behind it because I started sharing other people's stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I can so relate to that. <laughs> Man, there's so much to unpack in the statement, you look prettier when you're quiet. Mm-hmm. In my own work, I focus on the concept of the colonized mind from a a feminist perspective. And there's such a rich area for reflection when we think about how women and girls are taught from a very young age that being pretty is currency. Yes, yes, yes. And it's so interesting that the two have been combined in this way, being pretty Uh and being quiet. Um, It sounds like for you, the quiet piece was um, really hard to digest. Did you have a relationship with the prettier piece or how would, how did that land for you? You know, the prettier piece came about more so when I came to the U.S. because Mm. I'm not the digestible Latina. I don't have long, luscious, straight hair. I have curly hair and I have half my head is shaved. (laughs) I it wasn't at the at the time, but it's not. I don't. I'm not long, tall, and skinny. I don't wear heels like that. I you know I it's not. I don't fit that criteria, and so. I was often challenged with like, oh, are you Latina? Like, wait, you don't look, you don't look like it. And so that was kind of like my way of saying, you know what? I'm really not going to look like it, what you expect me to look. And so it was kind of like the prettier, the pretty piece. I've always, I feel like I've always challenged because I would rather be intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, and the quiet piece, and I'm so glad you have. Um, where are you in your relationship with uh, sharing your own story versus promoting the story of others? Well, I think I think I'm ready to share it, and I think I had to also develop my own what Kelly Deals calls my earned authority because. I know I had this this yearning for hearing other people's stories. And if I look back, 2016, 2015, when I started doing Gaffa Gumpam and sharing other people's stories, I don't know if my story was like cooked. It was being baked still. So I think divine, you know, it's time now. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, you know, whenever, whenever you are ready, I just, I want to offer you this platform to share as much as you'd like to. Um, and, you know, thinking about that evolution, I can relate to it in so many different ways. And, and even thinking about myself and one of the 
I guess the bridges that I'd like to cross um, with this topic is the relationship between our story as coaches and our, our work as coaches. Mm. For me, when I started out um, in the space of coaching, I was still really challenged by eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And I was really challenged by body dysmorphia. I was in a really unhealthy marriage. I was greatly struggling with depression. Um, I felt my 20s, my agency was slipping away from me. And I couldn't believe that this is what life had turned out to be like. Um, and for those of you who are listening, this is when I started training as a coach, right? So this is where I was. Um, and now, fast forward, 12 years later, um, you know, I've kicked eating disorders completely. I'm pretty much done with body dysmorphia. I'm now married to someone else. Depression isn't something that shows up in my life. And that version of me, that story arc of overcoming was where I started out with my own coaching practice and my own self-disclosure to begin showing up as a lighthouse for others to say, listen, like I walked through this fire and I can tell you flesh and blood, I'm done with eating disorders. I'm done with body dysmorphia. I leave my house and I don't give a fuck about what I look like. And you can too. Um, How does your own story arc show up to signal to your clients that transformation is possible? For me, it was not feeling enough. Because I always had grew up with this extreme pressure of being more than enough. And so when it came to being an adult and showing up in the world, I was like, ooh, do I have what it takes to be adulting? I don't know. And now looking back, I mean, I have a lot of strengths, but that limited belief that I had about not being enough held me back a ton because I. I mean, I call myself a recovering procrastinator. I would procrastinate in so much from college work to actual work. I almost lost my job once because I just didn't finish a project because I didn't want to finish the project (laughs) because I just put it off. And so I learned that the procrastination piece for me was a lot of self-doubt and a lot of not believing in my magic and understanding that everyone has different ways of, of magic. And so coaching truly helped me kind of like dissect all of that and then be like, you know what? You got this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about uh, for you, but for me, uh, once I really, I used coaching in much the same way to dissect kind of what happened where I was, but, but most importantly, how to move forward and how mm-hmm. to move forward strategically. And, you know, for, for coaches and clients, that's one really important thing to remember is that just because my story is my story when I'm in the space of coaching, I'm not telling clients how to do what I did. I'm providing strategic facilitation for clients to figure out what they're going to do. Yes. Um, and so, you know, at now I've moved so far beyond that story that my my chapter has changed my current pain point my current struggle is 
being a CEO uh, mm-hmm. of this beautiful, wonderful mayhem um, that we all love so much. And, and so it's, it, it, it changes a little bit. I'm endlessly fascinated by the way that as humans, we're completely able to change states. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. What, um, you know, kind of drilling down on what you wish you had when you first started out, what are some things that BIPOC coaches who are listening right now, who are thinking about starting out on their path, getting further on their path or becoming a coach, what do you think folks would benefit from thinking about or reflecting on? I mean, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but definitely get a coach. Mm. <laughs> I, When I left my corporate job, the first or the last thing, I guess, that my former boss said when I told them, he asked me, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to work for myself with no plan. I didn't have an extra strategy. I was like, I'm done. And I went to pick up my last check and he said, well, if I could tell you anything, get a coach. Whenever you can, get a coach. Because without my coaches, I wouldn't be able, wouldn't have been able to grow this business the way I've grown it. And I was like, what? You're the like most micromanaging person I've ever met. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I really listened because I remember that made me reflect. I was working directly under him. And so that made me reflect on the many times when he was traveling or doing other things. And he would be like, hey, go to my peer coaching group or go to meet with so-and-so who was this coach. And I would be kind of confused at the time because I didn't know what that was. And so once he told me that, I reflected on all of the times that I had had coaching sessions, kind of like inadvertently, and I took it to heart. And so um, first thing I did, the moment I started making a little profit, I was like, okay, now I need to get someone to support me in my business because clearly it's not one to walk alone. And I wish I would have done it. I would have done it so- sooner, but yeah. that's because I didn't have an exit plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I echo a hundred percent. I I rely on on coaches still, and and I yeah. think I I will for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, what about you know non BIPOC practitioners in the coaching and wellness space? And let me give the upfront caveat that wellness as a discipline is really white and has been bastardized and commodified by capitalism over Mm -hmm. the last several decades. And many of the practices that the wellness industry, um, which coaching is a part of, is built upon is indigenous. And we see really low numbers um, in terms of of representation, even though wellness modalities are very tied to indigenous roots. What do our, and I'm included in this, what do um, white colleagues need to think about and be mindful of as we are seeking to be better in this space? I would say question. Be curious about your current biases because we all have them. Regardless of the color of your skin, we'll have biases, lived experiences that inform the way that we approach things. And so I would say if you're putting together an event, a conference or something where you're hiring 
practitioners or coaches, look at the people that you're hiring. And one thing that I've noticed, and I, I, I was having a conversation with someone about this, is we tend to hire the people that we know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the people that we know look like us. And so the invitation is to step away from the people that you know and maybe ask the people that you know for other people to recommend because people can also see, I've seen conferences and I'm like, oh, it's the same people again, like same five people on the same stage again and again and again. And so, and I would even question further when people say, well, I can't find them. People are there and there's plenty of people to choose from. You just have to go look. I would, yeah, I would agree. And, and I, if you are out there and you're listening and you're saying, I don't know where to look, come to Lumia. We mm-hmm. have such a diverse community. We have incredible practitioners. We have um, amazing speakers like Pam, um, okay. who can absolutely set your event apart. And that's one of the things that I'm, you know, deeply grateful for in terms of Lumia that, um, we are able to host such a diverse constituency. What has it been like for you um, to come into this organization um, knowing how important representation is for you? Well, I think it's the commitment to making sure that there's a diverse group of folks from all aspects that made such a difference. When I was Searching for a coaching school, it took me like two years, I think. We're gonna have to like, I'm gonna have to, but it was like a long time. I remember having multiple conversations with the person who was doing the sales calls at the time, and she was like, "I really think you want to do this," and I'm like, "I know, but you know, there's something." And so finally, I, I have a checklist. Anytime I engage in anything, I have a checklist, and one is the commitment to diversity, and so. I was like, okay, we're in. This is the place. I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you you chose us um, for a multitude of reasons. So you know, thank you first of all. Um, and then you know, thinking about coach training itself, what did you like the most? I like the freedom that we had to kind of like explore. Mm. I have done many other trainings where it's very like rigid and linear and if we're going to go into like damaging principles not I mean I'm neurodiverse and so I really appreciated the fact that I wasn't sitting in a traditional classroom and the classes were like flowy and I wasn't being lectured and it was a lot of engagement and conversation that was super fun because I can't sit through a lecture. <laughs> My brain just can't take it. I totally hear you. I'm neurodiverse as well. I get it. I get it. It's something that was really important to me that, that remains really important to me um, with Lumi is that everybody's a freaking adult, right? And mm-hmm. I, the one of the reasons that we deliver um, graduate level topics that really expose the theoretical underpinnings of this work is because from a self-determination perspective, everybody's going to take the information and do it their own way. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy is that you need the information first. (laughs) 
Totally. Like you're going to do it differently no matter what I tell you. Um, and so how about I give you the really juicy stuff that you can use as a foundation to build from? Yeah. So, um, given that, given that, you know, everybody has to kind of build and figure out their own path, you know, whether you're engaging in entrepreneurship or you're going to work for somebody else or you're joining a practice or a firm, knowing what you know now, and, and especially since you circled for about two years, what <laughs> advice would you give aspiring coaches? Connect with each other. Find other coaches in your, like, of course, I'm assuming that you're coming through Lumia. So definitely make friends, friends that I've made since I started and not everyone came with my cohort. P.S. So just really engaging, participating, showing up for yourself will make such a difference. Um, so making friends, I would say, believe in yourself and coach. I think one of the questions that I get all the time is like, how did you get started? I coached everybody. Yes. <laughs> Don't be afraid to coach. Everybody needs coaching. So just coach all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I, I really appreciate the friends piece. There was a time when I wanted one of our company taglines to be make friends be awesome. Um, mm. And my, right? <laughs> and my, um, my, it does. My um, my marketing and product team let me know that that wasn't a real product, <laughs> and that that we don't we sell life coach training, not make friends be awesome, and um, adult friendships in like minded spaces are so life affirming, and they are so important to our intellectual development, our emotional development, and our spiritual recovery from. Mm-hmm. The abuse of this world. Um, can you give folks a sense of um, how these friendships have served you? Yeah, I. I mean, Sharice is one example. We connected because I needed. She wasn't in my cohort, and so I had an opportunity to coach a company, and I had never done that type of work from that perspective. And so I went into the Lumia group and I was like, Hey, has anyone done this? And she responded and she was like, yeah, I'll send you my, my one pager that I typically send. And I'm happy to like talk with you about it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what people, people want to help like that. And me, I had come from a corporate world, which is in sales. So it's super cutthroat, you know, everyone's for themselves. And so that was really refreshing. And just so awesome. I had a conversation with her. She gave me all these tips and tricks, gave me her one pager that served as a beautiful template for me to use, got the gig. And then I followed up and I was like, oh my gosh, guess what? I got the job and she got excited for me. And they became really, really good friends. After uh, we, to this day, we talk every other week. Awesome. And our listeners, you have heard Sharice before on our podcast. So yes, this is the same Sharice <laughs> that, that, great, that we're great. talking about. She's great. And it's, um, you know, I think that's, that, that's a hallmark of our community. And, and it's a hallmark of our community that I wish um, 
we saw more in the world. It's just mm. kind of like the idea that there's enough room at the table for everyone. And if for there's sure. not, we're going to build another table and pull it up um, yeah. because it's just, you know, abundance is, is quite endless and there's so much work to do that, you know, we can't do it all um, and we need each other. Mm-hmm. 100%. Really real ways. Yeah. So I know that folks out there are, um, are getting excited to listen to you and want to check out your podcast and are getting curious about you as a coach. Can you let us know where people can find you? Yeah. The easiest is cafeconpam.com, C-A-F-E-C-O-N-P-A-M, as in mom.com. And that's my website, um, at Cobiux, C-O-B-I-U-X on Instagram. And them's the places I hang out. I'm a little bit on TikTok, but I don't know. That probably I haven't a little. <laughs> it was such a pleasure to chat with you today. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for this rich, rich conversation. And I can't wait to do it again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.